This morning I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. This past week, we heard all kinds of responses to the evil experienced in Las Vegas. Several influential politicians, stars, and media elites pronounced, instead of thoughts and prayers, we need action. Instead of thoughts and prayers, we need action. Then I heard something from a country music artist that is possibly the best sermon I've heard in a while from the most unlikely of sources. John Rich of Big and Rich stated, people say our thoughts and prayers are with you. He said, America, you actually need to pray. You actually need to speak to the Lord. I don't know about his relationship, but I do know the words he just spoke is real. And it's truth. Paul said that it's preached, the gospel is preached, whether it's out of envy or strife, it's still preached. It's still the truth. And the truth will set you free. It is true, church. We actually need to do more than post prayers going up. We need to do more than say our thoughts and prayers are with you. This morning, as we preached last week, that we simply need to stand today. We simply need to pray. If prayer doesn't work, hear this. If prayer doesn't work, And I am almost certain that most Christians are convinced it really doesn't. If prayer doesn't work, then God is not good. If God is not good, then he cannot be great. And if God is not great, then God does not exist. The truth is, he does exist. He is both good and he is great. Prayer does work if we actually Pray. The problem is we do not pray. Luke 11.1, the disciples walking, talking, seeing Jesus experienced the depth of their need and cried out, Lord, teach us to pray. When I first got into golf, I had sold my bass boat, got out of tournament fishing. Uh, uh, People talk about golf's too expensive. Don't ever take up tournament fishing. Kim Smith just said amen. Y'all didn't hear, I heard her. Her heart cried out, amen. I sold my, I started pastoring First Baptist Hiram in October of 93, sold my bass boat in December of 93. And bought golf clubs in February of 94. I didn't go to a PGA professional. I didn't go take lessons. I got every golf magazine I could find. I watched all I could watch on TV. And I mimicked and I listened and I read. And I learned how the best I could to my ability to play the game. I learned how outside in... Makes it go right. Inside out makes it go left. How to putt. How to keep it from bouncing. How to chip. How to do all. By reading. By watching. By listening. Listen. Prayer does not come by osmosis. When you hear me pray, I want you to know you're hearing my father pray. You're hearing my mother pray. You're hearing Ed Chance and Guy Gazaway pray. You're hearing Sam Shipp and Wiley Butler pray. You're hearing James Barfield uh, and Roy England pray. Those were my pastors that I sat under and I heard them pray. I heard those men pray. When you hear me pray, you hear Miss Maggie pray. And you hear Miss Cook pray, my Sunday school teachers. You hear Jackie Shipp, my RA director, pray. You hear that in my life because they prayed. And by example, I heard it. 
And I learned how to pray. But the greatest prayer is that which we learn from the Lord. When we listen to what God has to say. Now let me tell you what prayer isn't. It is not the seeking of a magical answer from a mystical force. We cannot manipulate the will of God in order to fulfill our desires. It does not work that way. It's not name it, claim it, believe it, receive it kind of prayer. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is the fact that prayer reminds us of our dependence upon God. We have been taught the acts of prayer. A, adoration. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. S, supplication or petition. That is the acts of prayer. We ought to adore him every time we come before him. In everything we do, God is good. God is good all the time and all the time. Adore him. Adore him for who he is, not just what he does. He's God. He's God. You do not have to carry the weight that God carries for us. That's the fullness of him carrying the yoke. We cannot keep the law. We cannot be sinless, but we can trust a sinless Savior who is Christ the Lord. Adore him. Confess you're not God. Confess that you fail him. Confess that you have shortcomings and transgressions and iniquity, but praise God. Thank him. Thank him that he bore the brunt, that in his body, through his stripes, we are healed. We ought to adore him. We ought to confess him. We ought to thank him before we ever get to the point of asking him. But when we do come, and, and God's good with that. Listen, I'm not telling you not to ask God. We ought to cry. Do you realize the whole of the Psalms, 150 chapters, is basically a prayer? It's the psalmist praying. He's praying about his enemies coming against him. He's praying about his kids. He's praying about his own health. He's praying about the kingdom. He's thanking God. He's confessing God. Oh, man, in, in, in Psalm 51, when he's caught in the depth of sin, he said, against you only, Lord, have I sinned. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Listen. Ryan said it true. We look out across the crowd some days, and it doesn't look like we understand. We, don't, we, we look like we don't know that he's coming back again. That's one of my favorite songs. We, we say we believe, but does our face, does our actions, does our life, does our knees show we believe he's God? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. The word prayer, everywhere I looked it up, the root means to lean forward. It means to completely lean toward depending on anything and everything he says. With asking and pleading before him. Prayer is, listen to this, prayer is asking God to teach us. Lord, teach us. Teach us how to pray. It's, it's saying, Lord, show us. Your glory. You remember? Remember when they stood at the Red Sea we talked about the other day? You remember when Elijah said, God, show them. God, show them. And he called for fire from heaven. God, show us. It's saying, God, work through us with your will. Father, use me for your glory. Is that not what Jesus said in the garden? Is it? He said, Lord, if this cup cannot pass, your will, not mine. Lord, work through us with your will, not ours. It is the allowing of Almighty God to have all of us so as to form us into the image of his dear son for his good pleasure. Now I want you to read with me context you have never read. Or heard preached I would guess in the realm of a sermon on prayer for it seems kind of defeating but this is where God told me to read 
And I think it shows us the reality of prayer. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. I just mentioned about David and his sin with Bathsheba. Now listen to the scripture that led to Psalm 51. He's already been told by Nathan, you're the man. You're the man called in sin. You can deny it all you want. But but when you realize that rich man that took that little lamb that belonged to another man, you're that man that you said deserves death. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, it's one thing to tell your buddy, man, I messed up. It's one thing to tell your parents, I've messed up. And it's another thing to get on your face before God and say, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned. He told the prophet, and Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I'm telling you, it's not Las Vegas, and it's not 9-11, and it's not ISIS that's the biggest enemy of the church. It's the church's lack of example of God's greatness. That's it. When the world looks at Christians and says, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't need it. You're living in sin, drink like a fish, talk like a most vile of people. I almost said like a sailor, but we've, I've known some pretty godly Navy men. When we live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, eat like the world, drink like the world, live like the world, then the world will say, why do I need Jesus? I already got that. And God told David through the prophet, he said, because you've given the world great occasion to blaspheme the Lord, the child also that is born unto you shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and laid all night upon the Lord. What did David do? He prayed. He got on his face, and he prayed. He said, but the prophets already told him the child will die. We know the world's going to get worse. I've read my Bible. I know what's going to happen. We're going to start examining some of that on Wednesday night. But here's the news. God has won the war. And when it comes to the end, we win. Church, we bring things on. The world will cause death and destruction But we must keep praying. And so David besought the Lord. And verse 17, the elders of his house arose and they went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. The servant of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? Can I tell you something today? Stop with the thinking that you need to adjust God's truth and doctrine to ease the pain of an already dead world. Just tell them the truth in love. Stop thinking you've got to hide the secret. Stop thinking you've got to hide words like, Hell and damnation and condemnation and sin and wretchedness and brokenness. Because I'm here to tell you, you cannot lead a man to the Lord with a need for salvation until he realizes the depth of his lostness. We must understand we need help. We're not all that good. And God is the greatest of them. God is sinless and we are sinful. And so, they were scared to death. 
was scared to death what to tell him. And the servants of David feared to tell him. Verse 19, when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servant, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth. He washed, anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He did what? He worshipped. But his child is dead. Yes, but he worshipped because his God was not. And so he came to his own house, and when he required they set bread before him, and he did eat. Now, how do we look at this in the, in the realm of prayer? David prayed, and the child still died. Well, he knew that before he prayed, right? Are you going to die? Are you? If the Lord does not come back, are you going to die? Well, we don't act like it, do we? We act like we're going to live forever. Do we believe God sees everything? We don't act like it, though, do we? Do we believe God's all-powerful? We don't act like it. Do we believe God is loving and just and true? We don't act like it. We already know truth. We already know some things based on scripture, yet we act like we've never heard it. But in knowing, we pray. Because, as I've said, prayer is asking God to teach us. We're not praying to change God's will. We're praying that God change ours. That's what prayer is. It's a leaning forward. It's a leaning on. It's a leaning unto the God of the universe. And so David prayed. I don't know the... See, it doesn't say he prayed for the child's healing, does it? It just says that he prayed for him. What does it say? Read with me. David besought the Lord for the child. It just says that he prayed for the child. He may have prayed knowing the child was going to die. He may have prayed, Lord, take him now. He may have said, Lord, don't let him suffer. However, he did pray for the child. He fasted and he prayed and he sought the Lord. How did he pray? He prayed as we should. He prayed in the Spirit. Look in Matthew chapter 6. A very, very familiar text. Greatest sermon ever preached. That one preached on the mount. Preached on the shores of of Galilee in a little town called Capernaum. God's word teaches us about prayer. And he said in Matthew 6 verse 5, And when you pray, thou shalt not be as hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet when you've shut the door. Pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Number one, we ought to pray in the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean a rambling. It means that our spirit should be meshed and called up in His Spirit. So that we are united in knowing. Here's the deal. I've read one one uh, book on prayer this week, and I, I was kind of taken aback until I began to really notice the depth of what the statement was. It said, if you'll notice, those who are closest to the Lord, especially the apostles, never finished their prayer by saying, if it be thy will. Why? We've all, I've always been taught that's the way we ought to pray, Right? Well, the truth is, we still should pray that way. 
But when we come to the point of understanding God's will in our life, because we pray in the Spirit, we pray without ceasing in the Spirit. We're walking and talking and living in the Spirit. Then we're praying that His will be done by what we pray about. So that when Paul said, stand, or they said, receive your sight, it was not if it be the Lord's will. They had already conferred in their spirit. They knew God's heart. They knew God's will. Listen, it's God's will that none should perish. We ought to be going believing God wants to save sinners. Praying in the spirit means we repent before God. Before we go any further. Before we do anything else, we must be right with God. If there's unrepentant sin, the Bible tells us God will not hear us. If we've okayed things, we have justified, we have rationalized, we have become intermingled with the things of the world, I'm telling you, there will be no strength in prayer. You can say all the prayers going up you want to. and They'll never make it past the roof. We pray in the Spirit by repenting and saying, God, I fail you. What did David say? Against the only Lord have I sinned. We should be praying in submission. In this submission, listen what he tells us in this context. He said, after this manner, pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We understand when we pray in submission, we're under God. What do we say in this world? And, and I'm going to tell you something. The whole kneeling with the flag and all that other stuff goes right along with trying to take God off of our currency. It's taking God out of the schools. It's everything else. That it's, it's a spiritual battle, church. It's not about patriotism. It's about the spiritual battle of good and evil. That's what it all boils down to. They don't want to hear God, see God, smell God. They do not want to be influenced. Because listen, every time God's name is brought up, there's a conviction of their lifestyle. And so if they can remove any appearance of God, then they can live any kind of way they want to and not feel guilty about it. That's the truth. That's the truth. They can scream for all kinds of gun control and everything else. But I'm here to tell you, the only thing that can control a crazed lunatic is to meet Jesus. One way or the other. Did y'all hear what I just said? Now, preferably the first way. Like the lunatic uh, in, in Gathering or Gadara. There on the mountaintops, running around in the, in the cemeteries, cutting himself, possessed, literally possessed with the devil. I'm going to tell you, anybody bust out windows of a hotel and rain down fire upon a crowd of people, they, unsuspecting crowd, that had, they were not dressed, going into a battle, it was not war, he literally and maliciously planned an attack. On people, I'm not going to say innocent because there's none of us innocent. But he rained down on an unsuspecting crowd that didn't ask for it. How about that? It takes a madman possessed of Satan to do that. You hear me? The same thing that it takes for someone to molest a child is satanic. The same thing it takes for a man to beat a wife. Or a girl. The same thing that it takes a teenager to bully someone walking the halls. Same thing. It's the same thing. It is a satanic act that is evil in its very construct. We must pray in submission knowing that the only hope for this world is God. We must put ourselves back in the proper position of being under him, under his authority, under his control, under his voice, under his roof. Parents, any of you ever looked at your child says, as long as you're under my roof, 
You understand that's more about living at home, right? It's more than just living in your house. It means under your authority. In the pecking order, you're above them. Right? Kids, if you think that's arrogant and that's talking down, get over it. Because that's where you belong. Under the authority of your parents. When you're a parent, have at it. Have at it. But right now, assume the position and like it. Right? Enjoy the fact you don't have to worry about paying the bills. You don't have to worry about getting up at night when the power goes out. You don't have to worry about unclogging every, every backed up toilet. You don't have to worry about cutting the grass unless your daddy tells you to. You don't have to worry about the resale value or the meal going up on your, on your property. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. Well, guess what, church? You don't have to worry about the construct of the world. You don't have to worry about whether North Korea is going to act right or not. You don't have to worry about all the depth of politics around the globe and the geopolitical climate of everything. What you've got to worry about is being under the God who's got it under control. Amen. I don't know about you, but that's kind of freeing. Pray in submission, being under God. Pray in secrecy. That's what he started this with. When you do it, listen, when's the last time you got alone with God and prayed? It's one thing to circle up as a team and pray. It's another thing to get alone where it's just you and God and you know nobody's watching but him. That's when you'll be honest. That's when you'll be true. Stop rushing it. Just sit down. Hey, you know what? I know, it feels awkward at first. It does. But that's the lack of our human faith, our flesh, where it doesn't seem right to talk to someone we can't see or touch or feel. But the longer you sit there, just be quiet. That's being, that's being prayerful. And meditate, just be quiet and listen for God. And then start calling over things that, as we've talked about, I adore him. Thank him, man. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for what he's done. Confess what's wrong. Confess that, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I'm struggling with belief. Lord, I'm struggling with doubt and depression. I'm struggling with this and that and the other. Thank him for all the good things. Before long, you'll be going on and on and on with those thanksgivings that, oh, yeah, God, I, I, there was something I was going to ask you for, but I can't think of it right now. But when it does come time, be very sincere and pray. Oh, God. Listen, this morning, I have a 20-year-old girl that I've never met. It's heavy, heavy on my heart. I don't even know how to pronounce what's wrong with her, but she's had bleeding on the brain. She is a child of one of our Georgia Baptist missionaries with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. She's in college up in North Georgia, and she was in three different hospitals in eight hours, I believe it was Friday. And they've sent out asking people to pray. And this girl began with bleeding on the brain, and it's, she's been on a vent. She's been just through everything you can imagine. She's still very critical, last I've checked. Man, that's heavy on my heart. I got a 20-year-old. I got a 20-year-old college student. I got a 20-year-old college student daughter in North Georgia. I've, I've, I've been kind of there. My heart breaks for the family, but my heart also cries out, God, your will be done in this young girl's life, in her mom and daddy's life. Undergird them, strengthen them. God, may you be glorified in everything that's done here. We need to pray in secrecy, praying with God. Because when nobody else, listen, isn't it amazing? You get eight or ten people and everybody's just yucking it up. But it's in that one-on-one -on -one when you become to build close relationships. Right? Right? We were married eight years before our kids, before Emily was born. It wasn't a... It wasn't no picking up this and going to pick them up and take them here. And what, it was just us. Just us.
We learned to grow close together because it was just us for those years. When it's just you and God, nothing else gets between us. That intimacy with God grows when you pray, pray in secret. But we ought to pray in power. When was the last time you prayed and saw something mighty happen? This is praying in God. We realize we're in God. When Jesus prayed, things happened, didn't it? Now remember, it all goes back to praying God's will. But when's the last time you prayed and God did something great? Every time God does something, it's great. Right? We need to pray, oh God, may your will be done in our church. Oh God, may your will be done in our life. Oh God, may your will be done in this world. Praying in God. For in God we truly should trust. That's the power. It's not in how much you pray or how many words you pray. It's in the God you pray to. Let me ask you something. How wordy did Peter get when he began to sink in the water? How many words did he speak? Lord, save me. And did Jesus give a long concentrated retort of how he needs to follow through on the steps of spiritual formation, how he must walk a long line of repentance and asceticism of beating up himself. We were hearing about this on Sunday night in the men's group, about how he should conform himself and humble himself. No, Jesus simply reached down, took him by the hand, and pulled him up. Sometimes all God's waiting for us to say is, Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me. Lord, show me. Lord, guide me. Lord, make me. Lord, use me. One thing you'll never have to pray is, Lord, love me. Pray in power. We ought to pray with purpose. This is for God, that God's will be, that God would have the preeminence in our life. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. He says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity, division between you and God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Remember what we said, pray in the Spirit. That our spirit be swallowed up in his. Pray in secrecy that we may be meshed with him. Pray in power that in God all things are possible. Praying with purpose, he tells us. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he gives more grace. Wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, when we pray, we ought to pray with specificity. We ought to pray very specifically, not amiss. God, here, listen, I I prayed this prayer, okay? I'm not going to say all of us have. I know who has. I have. I get in a hurry and want to do my check for the prayer of the day. Lord, I pray that your will be done in our church, be, your will be done in our family. Lord, be with missionaries, be with the military. Lord, be with our country. I pray, Father, that you'd move mighty in this world. Give us revival in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now there's a time, but very little time for that kind of prayer. What kind of revival do we need? What does our military need? What does our church need? Am I praying for that? Am I calling the members by name? Am I calling my brothers and sisters by name? What does my family need, God? What, what, what do we need? I need to be praying because when I do, then I'm allowing God to talk to me, to show me his will for our church, his will for our, my family, his will for this world. We ought to pray specifically. Stop just throwing out these useless prayers of rote in our lives. You know, there's a time for a child to pray Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my, you know, all that kind of stuff. And God our Father, God our Father, once again, once again. Man, boy, it took me years to get that out of my head. But then there's a time. You know, if you're 12 years old and still saying that, we've let you down. We need to pray, be teaching our children to pray in Jesus' name. We need to be praying that they're seeking God's will, that they name. And you know, sometimes the greatest in-depth biblical prayers I hear is from children that just pray from the heart. I'm going to tell you, I love prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I know we think we're too cool and we're millennial and we're past that need of Wednesday night prayer. That's the old way to do it. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the old way is still the best. Wednesday nights, I've heard prayer meeting or take prayer requests. And I've heard people pray for their grandmother's toe. I've heard them pray for their dogs. I've heard them, listen, there's one little girl in my first church. I was asking prayer, yeah, is there any other prayer requests here? And finally got toward the end, and, and the little girl raised her hand. I said, yeah, baby. And she said, Brother Matt, will you pray for my brother? He's been sinning again. I said, yeah, baby, and I'm going to pray you don't kill you when you leave. It was from her heart. And you know what? She didn't want to embarrass her brother. She wanted her brother to be right with God. She had a heart close-knit with God. When's the last time we were that frank and honest before God? You know the hardest thing to do when you pray, Lord, I just repent of all my sin. Name it. Name it openly before God. That's embarrassing, but it is freeing. David named it before the Lord. See, it's praying specifically, but then it's praying with an intensity. Jesus prayed so, in, so intently, with such intensity, what happened? His sweat became what? As great drops of blood. Isn't that what the scripture says? I've been to Israel. Lane's been to Israel. I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is my pontification. I have not spoken to an arborist about this matter. Really don't want to. But I have my hypothesis on the matter of the olive trees, and I believe there's three of them, maybe two, but I believe there's three of them still standing in the Garden of Eden, I mean Garden of Gethsemane today. They are dated by arborists to be over 2,000 years old. No other trees in Israel that date that. When Nero took over, they tore down the walls, they burnt the temple in 70 A.D., Trees were a sign of prosperity and wealth. And so when they came through, they cut them all down and burned them. Except these trees. It's just an olive tree. Their life expectancy is not thousands of years old. But yet these trees are still standing, putting forth olives. There on that little hill across the Kidron Valley from... Jerusalem. And here's my hypothesis. This is where Jesus prayed. Amen? Amen? Garden of Gethsemane. And he got down and he prayed 
with this intensity that his sweat became as great drops of blood. And where did it fall? But into the soil that fertilized these olive trees. This gives me chills. I believe, I believe the blood of Jesus is so powerful and life-giving that that's why those trees hadn't died yet. Because that's where the blood of Jesus fell. Now imagine what happens when the blood is applied to our life. Not a tree, but a soul. One who understands the power of God and in intensity we pray, oh God, have your will in my life. For the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person will see much gain. It avails much. It moves mountains, parts waters. Pray with intensity. He said in verse 16, chapter 5. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Look at verse 17 and 18. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. We ought to be praying not only specifically and with intensity. We ought to be praying with expectancy. Remember in the movie Facing the Giants? When things got bad and they really began to pray, the coach began to pray and they began to seek God. You remember? And all the, all the uh, boosters of the school was against the coach, everything else. And they asked the coach, what are you doing? He said, I'm preparing for rain. He was praying that God would rain upon him his will. Praying that God would rain his power upon their lives. When's the last time you prepared for rain? Pray with expectancy, expecting God to move. Listen, we would have revival. We'd have a revival service if the church comes to me and says, Preacher, I believe we ought to have a revival, and I'm praying, expecting God to move in a great way. He's moved in my heart and in my life. We need to move in that direction. Are we praying with expectancy? Do we leave here energized? It's one thing to say, oh man, the music was great. Eli did a great job. Ryan did a great job. Matt, uh, uh, all the musicians did a great job. The choir sounded wonderful. Preaching to preach the best message you ever heard. But are we moved with expectancy that God is great and greatly should be praised and that wants to do great things in our life? Church, we need to pray. Pray with expectancy. What should we pray for? What to pray for transformation? Lord, make us. Make us, Lord. Mold us. Lord, make us mentally. The last couple of days, everyone I talked to said that man had an undiagnosed mental illness. Well, every lost person's got that. But it's been diagnosed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you can't think right and you can't do right until you're right with God. You just can't. There's none righteous. No, not one. We can't be good enough. Man, I used to work in the prison and it was minimum security and so... I was seeing guys come and go all the time. And they would always tell me, I, I ain't doing that when I get, I ain't doing that no more. My mama, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And I said, you know what? And the next little storm it blows will flip that leaf right back over. Unless you just bring that leaf before the Lord and burn it on the altar of repentance. 
Let God grow in you a new leaf, a new life. Ezekiel said, God, come and give me a new heart. Saul cried, Lord, what must I do to be saved? We need a transformation, transformation of our mind. That we stop thinking like a defeated people. We'd stop thinking like the world. We would start meditating and understanding and believing in our mind that he is and that he is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. We need transformation physically. As I mentioned with this girl, and so many times on Wednesday night, we pray for people, family members, neighbors, co-workers, people that we know, family members or extended Friends, we pray, it's an organ recital. We're praying for their kidneys and their livers and their hearts. And, but you know what? That's all right. Jairus came and asked the Lord for help with his daughter's illness, right? What about the woman who came and humbled said, Lord, I'm not asking for anything for me, but Lord, for my daughter. What about the woman who came with an issue of blood that just just reached out to touch the hem of his garment. When's the last time you got so humble before God? Said, I, God, I'm not worthy to even look at you in the face. But if I can just touch the hem of your garment, I believe your power will overwhelm me physically to do what you choose to do. Now, for some of us, it will be as with David. It will be as with Paul and his thorn in the flesh. But may I say, God showed David, and David was a different man. He didn't get up and wail and mourn and pitch a fit and throw things and burn the house down around him. He got up, cleaned up, fed up, and went out to tell the world that God was still God. Paul. Paul wrote and did more after we read about his thorn in the flesh than possibly before. Transformation mentally, physically, and then spiritually. What does that even mean? It means that we're illuminated by him. You see, that transformation says, Lord, make us. But illumination says, Father, show us. It started with revelation, right? God spoke his words in and through men, known as prophets. We don't, do, we don't have revelation anymore. You've got it. Genesis to the maps. That's God's revealed word, and that was the revelation. Then was inspiration. He inspired those men through the Holy Spirit to write it down. We don't have that anymore. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration, that God inspired all of it, and all of it is all we need. That's verbal plenary inspiration. So today we're not being inspired. We're not getting a new word from God. If anybody says, God has given me a new word for you, say, that's not of God. That's of the devil. Because God's word says so. Not the preacher says so. God says so. Revelation is ended, inspiration is ended, but we live in an age of illumination. God, show me. 66 books, 1,189 chapters, roughly 1 million words. Lord, show me. Show me your will. It's here. It's here. It's here. But we've got to pray over it. And pray in the word of God that he may illuminate us. Father, show us. And then his application, Father, use us. You see, there is power in prayer only if we understand it is not prayer itself, but our God who we pray to. It's not the act of prayer, it's the God we pray to. So when do we pray? Justice when we stand. We pray when it's easy. We pray when it's hard. We pray when no one is looking. We pray when everyone is looking. Pray when it's unpopular. Pray when it costs you something. Pray when it costs you nothing. 
Pray when you're hurting. Pray when you feel alone because you're not. Pray when you feel rejected. Pray when you're tired. Pray when you're defeated. Pray when you're excited. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sad. Pray for when you're rich. Pray when you're poor. Pray when you're healthy. Pray when you're sick. Pray, church. Pray. God of the universe will hear from heaven. Let me read one more verse as they come to the instruments. I really, really feel I need to do this. It's something that, once again, you know, there's one way we, we want to treat prayer like it's, as I said, a magical trick to get a mystical force to do something for us. But let me read from God's Word. Y'all believe God's Word? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is what he says after that verse I read about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is what he said. He didn't say to go to the civic center and charge people 25, 50 bucks to come and call it a healing service and ask for the sick to come. No, this is what he said. In verse 13 of, J uh, of James chapter 5, is any sick among you, is, or, or verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is there any sick among you? Now listen to me. We want to be biblical with this. If, is there any sick among us? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If any of that applies to any of us, whether it's encouraging one another, praying over one another, coming asking the elders to pray over them, whatever you need to do, as I ask you to stand, I'm asking you by the power of the Lord in me that God's word be illuminated in your life that you come and pray. Will you come today? Stand and come. Standing come.